If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in our third theme of our Advent series called The King is Coming. We looked at uh, hope, and then we looked at love, remaining our joy and peace. So today we come to um, maybe, maybe my favorite one, which is joy. But uh, to get there, we're going we're gonna to take a... We're going to take a journey with a story in the proclamation of the, uh, the plan of God over Mary. So if you've, if you've been around church like at all around Christmas, uh, you've probably heard Luke chapter 1 in some form that God is going to use this young woman named Mary to bring forth his son. And we're going to look at her story because I find it very helpful in what I call the paradox of joy. Uh, whenever you preach joy, hear a message of joy, it is paradoxical in the sense that it's, it needs to be preached because it's not very apparent, which is true of all of the Advent themes. It's like, we, we need to talk about hope because it's part of what we're, we, we have to have hope to look forward to a coming king. And we have to talk about it because we don't always have it. And that's especially true of joy around this time of year. It's like, of all of the things that we disagree on in culture, most people agree that you should be joyful around Christmas. And then most people also feel a resistance to that kind of spirit of Christmas at times. Not always, but if you're like me at times, you're like, I'm just not feeling it right now. And so we're going to look at a story today that reminds us that joy is not something that you hear a message on and you're like, okay, got it. Now, that might be true of some of you. Like some of you might have come in and, and you know the plans that you have this week and you know the things that God's doing in your life and you're ready to approach the week with joy in your heart and, and this message for you might be, might be like one minute long. Uh, if that is you, sit tight. you got plenty of joy to make it through a 30-minute sermon. But for everyone else, exhale and know that oftentimes a message of joy can almost feel out of place in your listening because you don't feel it, you don't see it, and sometimes you don't really understand it. So we're going to look at it in a way today, I hope, that gives us all an invitation to experience something that sometimes we don't necessarily feel in, in, in our hearts. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. You ready? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So uh, a little bit of an introduction to the story. We find ourselves in verse 26 because the first half of the chapter, uh, as it says in the sixth month, this is re in reference to a relative of Mary's named Elizabeth, who's also pregnant in a way that will lead her down a road of surprising joy and will come to her. Because this story is really going to be broken down into two parts. Uh, first, the message that Gabriel will bring to Mary. And then second, Mary will actually have an interaction with Elizabeth to confirm this message. So we'll start with a message for Mary in this little town of Nazareth delivered by an angel of God named Gabriel, starting in verse 37. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. 
Blessed are you among women. Again, this could be a short sermon if all you ever had to do to stir up joy was say it. Rejoice. You know, it makes me think of the times that, you know, a, a mom would come into a room and say, wake up, kids, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And what is typical is not simply, okay, thanks. Since you said it, mom, I'm just going to rejoice. Uh, that's not typically how that song is received if it's in the wrong context. And, and what we find here is this is a longer sermon than just one verse, and it's a longer story than just one message because the response in Mary is often true of us, which is not, okay, it's this. It's, it's verse uh, 38. It says, but when she saw him, she was troubled. And his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Verse 29, she was troubled. The call to rejoice, highly favored one. God has blessed you among all women. Take great joy. The call of Christmas, the call of the season, the call of Advent, be joyful. More often than not, will meet you in a place that will cause you to respond with a troubled heart not with a joyful heart, immediately. And that is why I've titled this message, The Road to Joy. Because joy, as prescribed in the Bible and and exemplified in the stories of people who experience it in a call to your own life, is not an instantaneous emotion. It is something that God calls you into with invitation and then journeys you along a path until you get to it. And that is what this morning is about. It's unlikely that this sermon is going to change your heart condition simply because I tell you to be joyful or because we look at an example of someone who was. But it does give us really a model for how Mary goes from a troubled heart to by the end of the story, she will break out in one of the great worship songs of joy that we find in the Bible. The question is, how does she get there? And that's what we'll look at this morning, how joy often meets us in a troubled way. The paradox is you need joy when you're troubled. And it greets you in a place that doesn't always make sense. And to get there, we're first going to look at a couple of ways that there is joy that doesn't happen, or the antithesis of joy. So when we talked about hope in week one, we looked at some definitions of hope. Here are some ways to understand what joy isn't. The first one, joy is not instant. The heart is troubled before the soul rejoices. Uh, A couple days ago, Tom Velasco asked me my top 10 Christmas movies, which if you know anything about Tom Velasco, he's a list guy. I think it's because he's so smart, he has to categorize everything in his mind through lists. I'm not that smart, so I'm not a list guy, and I don't know my top 10, but it did get me thinking about Christmas movies and what I am looking for in one of them, and as I went down that journey, I realized that the great Christmas movies on my list, or in my opinion, get this part of joy right. The great ones have a, a, a tension within the plot of the movie that allows you to see characters that are in a season where everyone around them is joyful, and they're not. So I can't give you my top 10 list, but I'll give you my top three. Here they are. It's A Christmas Carol, The Grinch, and It's a Wonderful Life. And in every one of these, the tension exists that I love because I see myself in it. The tension is this. 
Everyone's excited. You're supposed to be excited. Everyone's joyful. Everyone's got their eye on the prize of Christmas. And then there are these main characters who don't have it. And they need to go through this transformative shift in their life that almost looks like repentance that takes them from a hard heart to a soft heart, from no joy to great joy. And this is our life, and this is the journey of joy. I want you to think about times in your life where you've experienced the reward of rejoicing, where something comes out of your soul that can't help but praise God because of his goodness, and that thing is joy. And if you're like me, you can actually relate to the story of Mary in a very minimal way because what she's going through are some of the great rejoicing moments that are first met with resistance. Think of her story. She's met with trouble, and then she's given the the details that will come of a child that is born in bad timing, out of order with, with when she was married, betrothed to be Joseph, and yet she's about to get a call to carry a child that doesn't belong to Joseph. This is a call of great rejoicing by the end, but should be met with some resistance because it doesn't really make sense with her culture and their tradition and the timeline and the design. And I relate to that. I remember in my own life thinking about the joy of marriage with some great resistance. How many of you have thought about getting married and then thought, yeah, not so much. I'm not sure that I'm really there yet in my heart. I kind of like my freedom and my options, and the ability to to move quickly in life. And so marriage for me is one of those moments where I think great rejoicing, eventually great resistance primarily. And then you march down the story. It's like rejoice, you're going to have a child, which is one of the great joys of life. To experience the miracle of life with a front row seat for the rest of the life. And yet, how often does that come to a, as a shock to your life. I remember the day that my wife told me she was pregnant with our first child. I was making macaroni and cheese, standing over the stove, getting ready to enjoy the simple things of life. <laughs> and she came in and said, I'm pregnant. I said, we've only been married for three months. What are we doing? I can't, I'm not ready for that. I don't want that. And I realize that someday my kids are going to listen to all of my sermons and think, you really hated us. Because all you ever talk about is how God showed you things about how good he was in our, in our bad timing for your life. But the reality is, is with great rejoicing, there is great resistance. God is calling us to do things that don't always make sense to us. And it is not something that we initially see. And it's not instant. And it's not immediate. And it it requires a plot twist for our own lives. And this is where the message continues. Because in God's kindness, there is an answer to all of our fears in what he calls us to. And God is calling every single one of us here this morning to relate to the invitation of joy in a troubled way. God is not calling you to to things that that caused your natural self or your flesh to be like, this is so exciting and so great. It's going to be so rewarding. I can't wait. More often than not, the messenger of the Lord comes and it troubles the person who receives it. And then they say, don't be afraid. And this is what we find. Then the angel said to her, verse 31, verse 30, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, 
and he shall call his name Jesus. Joy is not instant, and joy is not shallow. Because the answer that the angel gives is filled with a substantive hope in God. The journey of joy begins with a promise of hope. And these are two things, the instant and the shallow, that all of us have to navigate in the world that we live in. There is an instant and shallow interaction with God if it comes and dies on a Sunday morning. God is calling you to a journey with him that goes beyond the sanctuary. And he's calling you to a journey that has substance that goes beyond a sermon. And he's calling Mary into a life that as she has questions, he doesn't just pat her on the back and say, trust me. He says, let me give you the substance of hope. Which is good for us to remember that just two weeks ago we talked about Advent in the promises of Hope. Without hope, there is no great expectation. Without hope, there is no joy in whatever God is calling you into because you're stuck in the troubled heart. And yet, it's worth thinking through what we talked about as the definition of hope. Definition number one that we looked at two weeks ago was that hope is confidence in the goodness of God. And that is what the reply to Mary is, is you are favored. This is, this is not a, a simple greeting. This is to say to Mary, it doesn't look like it right now. But this is God's favor on your life. And this is to say to those of you in the stage of fear, it may not look like it right now. But the invitation to joy, as you go through your troubled response, as you go through the the narrow gate of fear that God will work out in the substance of his hope, he is saying, it is my favor that calls you. It is my goodness, which you need to cling to. Because as God's plans come into your life and scramble all of your plans, it may not seem like God's goodness. In fact, one of the reasons we resist the call of God that is unto joy, one of the reasons there's resistance before rejoicing, because one of the common themes in the human heart is to doubt the goodness of God in the plan. And can't you relate to what Mary must be going through? Did you call me favored? Don't you understand where I live? I'm in Nazareth. I'm in a traditional Jewish culture. There are orders to things. I am betrothed. I am not even married. And I don't have the, 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 the right order to now give birth. And yet, the message says, God has favor on you. And one of the ways that we will march towards joy in our lives is to know the difference between God's favor and man's favor. To know the difference between the culture's approval of you and God's approval of you. To know the way the difference between God blesses your life and the way that you want him to bless your life. Hope is the confidence in God's goodness, even in the mysterious call that God is bringing you into. Here's the second thing the angel says. Gabriel says this, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Another 
reminder of where we were two weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 9. It is the word of God. It is not a random call on her life that has no substance in the goodness of God revealed through the prophets of what is to come. Isaiah came on the scene and said, God is sending his son, the mighty counselor of his throne. There will be no end. And Mary, now it begins with you. And the second definition of hope that we're going to recall from two weeks ago is faith in the good ending. We looked at that one verse from Isaiah, and we said, remember, as we go through life and we're looking for uh, the way out of hopeless situations, we keep our eye on the end of the story, and the end of the story of the king is coming, is that he is establishing a throne that will have no end, and he will reign forever. And now, Mary... In your call to joy, remember the end of the story. You will give birth. He will come into this world to save people. His name will be Jesus. He will be the fulfillment of God's promises to the world that there will be a throne that God occupies that no man will ever take him off of. The end of the story is glorious, and you're being called into it now. And I think into the call of God in your life. It is a call to receive the joy of the Lord. And it will meet you in mysterious ways that violate your plans and your orderings. It will trouble your heart and cause great fear. But the end of the story is glorious. The the end of the story is for, for joy on the other side of the mysteries, of the unknown details and the unknown abilities. And I think again to my own life as I was called into marriage, and this is a true story, the day of my wedding, September 22nd, I'm walking down the aisle and I'm thinking, what am I doing? (laughs) And now my wife's going to listen to this and think, you hate me. (laughs) But you know that song the Lord put on my heart? And to this day, it's it's a revival of my marriage vows. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. No turning back, the cross before me the world behind me. Well, I was like, the cross before you. I was waiting. (laughs) Like, it's me before you. It's like the cross before me. I am called into this, to the end, to die. That's what the cross is, me unto death. And in, in my covenant before my friends and family and now before you, I said to my wife, here's the end of the story. We're never gonna stop loving each other. We're going to the end. And as you think about going to the end, you can actually start to stand on the hope of the joy that waits you on the end. That there's, this is not just a passing phase for our relationship. This is not a season of dating and, and, and feeling great about each other. But there will be ups and downs and riches and poor and there will be sickness and health. But the joy waits for us at the very end. And with the eye on the end of the prize, you continue down the journey towards joy. Joy in the moment, joy in the middle, joy in the end. And it is so important for us to remember these two definitions of what joy isn't. It is not immediate, and it is not shallow. Joy has an invitation to a long journey with God, and joy has the substance of hope that grabs roots into the promises of God. And that's the opposite of how we receive it so often. That's the opposite of the Christmas season. It comes and it goes, and its roots are in decorations. And yet, listen to how Jesus describes the way that we so often receive. I especially listen to this because I consider myself type two soil in the parable of the sower. 
In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, the word of God, what we're doing right now, is like a farmer throwing seeds, and this is the soil, and your heart represents, represents the condition of the soil by which you receive and bear fruit or wither away. And then he gives four soil types. And listen to the second type. It says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who receives the word and immediately receives it with joy. Sounds like a good thing. I got the word. I'm excited about the word. Immediately receive it, but he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And I have to say, I realize fully that I preach into a culture that receives things very easily with great joy, click, follow, buy, send, one shop and stop, and it's in. And it receives things with no roots. It's like next, 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 next. Swipe left, swipe right, next thing. And I also realize that oftentimes, which is the opposite of how this is supposed to work, the church reflects the culture. Rather than the culture being moved by the church, the church also receives with great joy. Well, that was a great sermon, Pastor. And those songs were top-notch. And joy to the world, got it. And Christ came, and I love it. And I, I raise my hand, and I believe, and, and now I leave church, and life happens. And you've only received the word here. The word has not become implanted. The word has not gone through the troubled heart and the overcoming of fear and the wrestling with God and the walking through the hope and the substance of his promises. And so there is no endurance. And we have nominal believers who say they believe on Sunday and then persecution comes on Monday and there is nothing to grab hold of. So we pause, myself included, because I'm a type two. I love stuff. Until the next thing. And we say, God, help us to be okay with a call that would trouble our hearts. That would, that would really require us to lay before you our plans and, and acknowledge that our plans and your plans collide all the time. And, and to wrestle with how this would all work. And, and to be people who allow the word of God to go farther down into our hearts than it's possible in a 30-minute sermon. But to walk with Lord through the journey, not expecting the joy to be now, not expecting everything to change because you listened now, but saying, God, I'm walking with you out of this place beyond a sermon in three songs, and I want to receive what you have for me. And, and this is where the plot begins to twist. Because part of that wrestling, Mary's going to represent something that we don't often do with God, but is a very realistic and good question. This is what Mary says. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? Now, to the skeptic of, of what's happening here, um, the gospel writer Luke has already mentioned she was a virgin. Betrothed means she has not had sex with her husband yet. They haven't consummated. And now she herself aligns with the skeptic. She says, wait a minute, how is this going to happen? How, how am I going to have a child if I haven't gone through the process by which 
pregnancy happens. It doesn't come from the stork. Uh, you know, anyway, you guys get that. <laughs> okay. So two things. Um, first, the answer that, uh, that Gabriel gives, I think, is rooted in some real primary theology. And, and we understand it in the beginning study of the scripture. And as we go through, it seems like our, our knowledge of the power and the greatness of God kind of wears down. He, he says this to, to Mary, and the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will shadow you. He says, well, the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is going to complete this in you. And, and when I say is we kind of wear off from Scripture. So Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created by his word, he speaks the heavens and the earth into existence. There was a time where there was nothing. God speaks and there's everything. And then by his word, he designs creation and it unfolds. And by his word, he breathes life into man. And then as the story continues, we, we accept the reality of who God is. We accept his power to create. We, expect, we, we respect his power to give life. But then you, you go along the story and you think, well, how are we going to explain this one? How did he part that Red Sea? It's like, how did that happen? That seems miraculous in a sense. God has the power to violate the laws of nature that we live in. God, by very nature, is outside of the nature that we live in. And God intervenes whenever he wants to show himself God and not limited by our limitations. How does he, you keep going. You think about your life. And you think, ah. And now Mary comes to a moment that we all come to, which is this. She asks, now how is this going to happen? I haven't been with a man. And, and you ask, God, are you sure that you have the right person? <laughs> are you, because I can't. I can't, that's not possible right now. And then you say the same thing. God calls you to re rejoice. This is what's going to happen to your life. It's how I'm going to use you. And you say, are you sure you have the right person? Are you sure I'm going to do the things that I'm called to do by you to do? I know I think that way is the examples I give. It's like, I, I've, how am I going to raise a family? I remember processing all of this as my wife told how do I, How do I provide for kids? How am I a faithful husband? Remember, uh, Abraham, he says, God, are you sure I've got, I'm 100 and my wife's 90, and yet you want to give us a baby? Are you sure? Wouldn't Ishmael, the one I already provided for you, to, wouldn't that work better? And then Moses comes on the scene and says, God, are you sure? I'm, you want me to be your mouthpiece, but I don't speak good. So how do I? God is calling you to experience something that is true of a miraculous birth, and it's true of the miracle of you giving glory to God. His power will come upon you. I, I myself have nothing to offer you this morning. I myself am a faithless husband and a deadbeat dad in my own nature. But by God's grace, he called me to do things to his glory that he's empowered me to do. And we come to these moments that, that we haven't got to the joy yet because we're just not sure that the road to joy is actually going to get there because the vessel's pretty weak. The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And there is no joy of the Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And then something else happens in 
the answer, which I also find very helpful. And then the angel says in verse 36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Gabriel says the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow your weakness and your impossibility. And because we're visual people and we're people that it helps us to see it witnessed in someone else, he said, also, Elizabeth, month six, she's ahead of you in this. She was barren and she was old and God did something miraculous in her life. I so appreciate the call of the believer from the New Testament church on is to experience the power of God. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Because there are all sorts of people all over this sanctuary that are being called into the joy of the Lord in some sort of resistant, troublesome, fearful way that you look around and you say, are you sure you got the right guy? And and God says, look at that guy. I I opened his mouth to speak. Look at that dad. I opened his heart to lead his family. Look at that husband who is faithful. And and all of these are miracles. And so believers are supposed to come together with the gifts of God on display and say, look what God's done. So that when we all go through the the process that Mary's right in, in the middle of, right as the plot's getting ready to turn, and she herself is being called to rejoice but doesn't quite see it, The angel says, I want you to look at God, and I want you to look at what he's done. And then we say this morning, look at what God has done. There is miraculous salvation all over this place. I can't believe that God saved some of you. (laughs) But he did. There is miraculous gifts of the Spirit. It's like the way that God uses you is such an encouragement. And I hope in, in, in whatever way that I can, with humility mixed in with my own issues and sin, you can look at me and say, look at that. I always remember the, the uh, second week that I became the, 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 the preaching pastor, lead pastor of the church, and so, uh, two parents that I had, uh, of a, a kid that I went to high school with, they came up to me week two and they said, hey, we just told our, uh, we just told our, our daughter that you were the pastor of the church now. And they were shocked. <laughs> I went to high school with you, and they could not believe it. I said, well, guess that's better than nothing. (laughs) And I think that's what's supposed to be happening. As we go through our doubts, and God says, I did it here, and I did it here, and I did it here. And Mary, I want you to look at Elizabeth. And then we come to one of the great reminders of Scripture for all of the, the doubt that we have on the road to joy. Verse 37. For with God, nothing will be impossible. There's nothing to add. There is no, no thing I could add to this statement other than say, God, help us believe this. Help us believe that creation declares your glory. You, you breathed it into existence. And help us believe that we don't celebrate Christmas because we like the songs and the, and, and the decorations. We celebrate because we need a yearly reminder that God has invaded this realm to dwell among us in a miraculous way. And we need the reminder as we march towards Easter that 
what is impossible for man to overcome the penalty of sin, which is death, and what is impossible for us, which is to save ourselves and become righteous unto God, was made possible by God when he defeated sin. And he left death in the grave, and he overcame, and yet we need this yearly celebration of it, lest we forget that anything is possible with God. And what those classic movies tell us is that you should never, ever write off the resistant and the hard and the characters that are the highlight of the movie that seem unsavable because anything is possible with God. He can open a barren womb. He can use a virgin to give birth. He can raise life from the dead. And he can save anybody in this sanctuary right now. He can forgive every sin. And so now we do come to the twist of the story. And we're not going to come to the moment of joy yet, but we do come to the final the final runway, it's like that moment in the road trip when, you, when you, 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 you're, you're, you're using the, just the wind in your sails. you got an hour left on a long journey. And here's how Mary shifts. Verse 38, then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Let it be. Those are the three key words in the power of the will of God in your life. It is what Paul calls the secret of joy. I have learned to be content. I have learned the power of the word of God. When we come to these moments with God, the the turn happens in Mary's life and our life when we say, I didn't see it. I was afraid. Your word confirmed it. The people you've used around me, I see it in them. And I trust in your goodness and the goodness of the end of the story to say this, that we say to the word in in any way that God, by the power of his spirit, gives us to humble submission to him. Let it be. What you've called me to, I will do. And now we come to the beginning of the definition of joy that will give us something to hold on to. Joy follows faithfulness. The road to joy is paved with obedience. Now, the paradox. We're always looking to be holy and set apart, the upside-down kingdom, the opposite of the culture. And in the instant, in the shallow, we're, 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 we're allowing emotion to follow after joy, and we look for things that we think will make us happy, and then we do them. And in the great paradox of the kingdom, it's all backwards. Joy comes after obedience. I love how Alexander McLaren puts it in his commentary on this passage of Scripture. To pursue joy is to lose it. The only way to get it is to follow steadily in the path of duty without thinking of joy. And then it comes most surely unsought. And we being in the way, the angel of God bright-haired joy is sure to meet us. Like all things in life, if you want the thing, you lose it. It's like the junior high relationship. It's like, I just want to be in a relationship with this person. And then you sit across to the table from each other and it's like, do you like me? Yep. You like me? Yep. It's like, you're going to lose it. There's nothing that you guys are going for. 
And in the same way, it's joy is not something you're just like, I just want to be joyful, so where can I find it? Joy comes after you do what God tells you to do. It's on the other side of obedience. It's on the other side of duty. If I haven't lost you already, here it is. Joy comes after obedience. One of those foul words for our culture, obey. Obey God and you will experience the next final phase in the road of joy. And and I have to say, for my own examples, there is a twist in the plot. I actually really do enjoy being both a dad and a husband. This is not something that I was stuck in day one. And this kind of dawned on me the other day as I was doing the monotonous duty of being a dad. Every morning, uh, our kids are at a stage where two kids go to school and the other two go to preschool. So we've got like a a, a four-person breakfast restaurant that I run in the mornings and pack lunch. And so uh, cooking up oatmeal and my kids are all eating, getting ready for school. It's just that classic chaotic season that everyone's like, enjoy it. It's going to go by fast. And I'm like, I'm trying. (laughs) Sometimes it goes really slow and then it goes, then it's all gone. But, you know, you you wake out of bed and you're like, okay, here's the list of stuff to do. And I'm making lunches, four little lunches for my kids. I'm packing them up, making sure they have everything for school, load them up into the car. Duty, duty, obedience, obedience. Get their backpacks, get them to school, drop them off, walk them into the preschool. And then I step away and I think, it's like one of the best days of my life. This is like the most joy, the simplest joy is just doing what God told me to do. He, he, he calls me to, to be a reflection of the perfect father to my kids in my broken way. He calls me to train them up in the way they should go, to shepherd them and care for my flock. And I just had one of those moments where I stood back and I thought, this is joy. And so it is. The married couples, you know this, the longer you go at it and you're faithful to the vows and you stay committed, your joy will follow your faithfulness. And it's not easy. The honeymoon wears off in three days. And some of you are like, that was not that short, but it wears off. And then the years go on. And you learn how to not let the sun go down on your anger and reconcile the disagreements and, and listen to each other and pray with one another. And after all the obedience unto God's design for that relationship, you look back and you think, this is joyful. This is joy that has roots in a commitment to this person. Your friends, the, those of you practicing the virtues of singleness for years and years, and you look back and you see that God's design versus the culture's temptation, and you experience the joy of your faithful following of God because joy follows faithfulness. And, and that is what we see in our Lord, in, in this whole story not fully realized in Mary. She's not the author and the perfecter of our faith or the source of our joy, but Christ is. And look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. This is the the, the chapter that goes right after the hall of faith. We've talked about it over the last couple of weeks. All of these people who trusted God so radically had so much faith in God that they were willing to live for him. And then we see the perfection of that in Christ. And what is the model? He says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He goes through the mission all the way to the cross. 
Because on the other side of his faithfulness and his obedience to give his life for ours was the joy of our salvation and his completed mission now sitting at the right hand of the Father. I like how this commentator put it, the only lasting and fully satisfying joys for any man lie on the other side of a cross. Which is why maybe we're so resistant to the call to rejoice. Because your troubled heart knows that you can't do it on your own, that you're weak in your flesh, and that it's going to require you to display the love of God in laying down your life to get to the other side. Mary's story is no different. Her cross came in the shame of culture, the tension with her husband, the, the challenge of a sword that would eventually pierce her as she sees the mission of God completed on the cross of her son. But on the other side of endurance, the faithful call of God in your life is true and lasting joy. She has not rejoiced yet, so we're going to spend just a few moments on this last part of the story to get to her moment of rejoicing. It says in verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went. Pause there as we get close to the end. Uh, Mary is on a jury, a journey. She's on a journey towards joy, on the road to joy. And it's intellectual and it's practical. She intellectually journeys through her fear and her doubt with the word of God and the message of God, and then she actually moves. And these stories are not meant to be separated. The angel said, look at Elizabeth. And then the angel departs, and Mary goes to Elizabeth. And there are practical steps that your journey must take with the road to joy that will go beyond your intellectual pursuits to say, okay, now I'm going to walk towards the altar. I'm going to lay down my life for this person and this relationship and this reconciliation and that mission field. I understand the road to joy intellectually, and now I understand the road to joy with my feet. And she goes with haste. A, a common theme in the word where people hear a call of God and they say, early in the morning they rose and went to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened... When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she spoke. It's funny how this pursuit of joy is actually very mutual. As Mary was pointed to go see Elizabeth, to see the the the. the the actual six-month journey that she's on with the miraculous child that she has, Elizabeth also becomes a messenger. As we were going through this in staff church, Parker raised his hand and said, well, I'm going to ask the question on behalf of the youth. I didn't get an angel, so what should I tell people who are waiting for their angel to come? Uh, the answer is here. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaks. You will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to play the witness of all that God wants to encourage us in for the pursuit of the reward of joy that's on the other side of the cross. Joy is not an exclusive game. Joy is the antithesis of loneliness and independence. 
Joy calls Mary into a relationship where it would mutually receive and give joy to one another. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, the same message that Gabriel, the first messenger, gave her, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of the things which were told her from the Lord. Blessed are you for believing. For everything that was told of you by God in his word through the messenger will be fulfilled. And it is with that encouragement, that real-life interaction, that visible image of a barren womb given life, the joy that leaps mutually, that Mary now comes to her moment where the plot is twisted and she goes from the troubled heart into the proclaiming worship and says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and the Spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She'll go on to sing what is called the Magnificat for this amazing song of worship, the magnification of the Lord in her heart. And now we also come to the definition of joy. Not the ones that show us what joy isn't and not the preview of joy. But here is the definition of joy as seen in Mary and experienced in our life. True joy is holy fulfillment. The road to joy leads to delight in the fulfillment of God's goodness. There will be a fulfillment of the things that God has said. And by the way, the idea that joy is fulfillment is the way we always understand joy. That's why Advent is so special because we know they're coming this visible picture of joy for anyone who has kids that will run on Christmas morning to the fulfillment. That's joy. Everything that they were waiting for has arrived. That's joy. Uh, we see it as Jesus talks about childbirth. In, in the, the picture that we have now, there will be a come when Mary gets the joy of a child. And Jesus says, that is the world's joy. When salvation comes, it will cause great pain, but it will be unto joy. Just like when, a, when a, a woman is in labor pains, it's a great pain, it's troubling, and then the fulfillment of the child is the greatest joy. Joy is fulfillment. And one of the reasons that our culture lacks joy is because they don't know where fulfillment comes from. And they're looking for fulfillment in all of the cultural ways, in all of the, you know, the box that you check off ways. And you see them symbolized in Christmas. Fulfillment is a present. Fulfillment is a season. Fulfillment is people in my life. And the reality is that the only true joy comes from holy fulfillment. It's the fulfillment that God supplies. It's the child and the relationship and the provisions and the people that God surrounds you with. And that is the reward of joy today. When you come to those moments and the plot twists, and instead of looking for all the things you wish you had and the lives you wish you lived and the people you wish you were, God invades your world and says, here's what I give you. I give you your life with your gifts and your call. And when you reply with, let it be according to your word, you are marching towards this amazing rejoicing moment when you will be fulfilled by the reality that you believed that God would provide. And so we show one more picture. How could I mention it's a, 
It's a Wonderful Life with not giving you the most important scene in all the end. And it is the scene when he realized when he was at the end of the rope and he was so sick of his life because it wasn't what he wanted and he was bankrupt of joy because he wanted everything he didn't have. And he says, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I never had my life at all. And the reality wake-up call for him wasn't that he got everything he wanted, but he just saw everything he already had. And I love that picture because that's the picture of joy. It's hanging on your shoulders. It's waiting for you at the broken banister. It's the, the family you already have in God. It's the people in your life that remind you of the goodness of God that he has given you friendship and relationship. And with that knowledge, there is fulfillment yet to come. And that's why Advent is the great looking backwards to look forward. God fulfilled everything he said he would do in the life and the promise to Mary and to the promise that he had for his son. And the cross really did happen. He really did endure and he really did overcome. And he really does offer salvation for the world. And that is one of the ways that I now share this message with some of you in real time because one of your great resistance is against the greatest rejoicing you'll ever experience. And one of the great rejoicings is to accept the invitation of the free gift of salvation that is already here. You don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to wish that your life was different so that you could experience God or you could clean some things up or do some things differently. You just have to hear with ears to hear, that the joy of salvation, a call to rejoice in the life that God wants to give you into eternity, is here right now. And you resist it because it troubles your heart and it breaks your plans and it causes you to fear and it causes you to submit with obedience unto God. And yet, obedience to say, God, your will be done. You're my Savior. I am not. You offer forgiveness for which I need obedience to accept the free gift brings you the joy of salvation. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who have no need of repentance. And for all of us now who already believe, remember that Advent is a look backwards to look forward because of the unfulfilled plans of God. God has created each one of us for good works that we should walk in them beforehand. They're already there. But we must say to God, let it be according to your word. And our version of repentance unto joy of heaven is to say, God, I did do things according to my plans, according to my favor, according to what I wanted to do to be blessed, but not so, let it be according to your word that I would walk into the promise for anyone who believes in the fulfillment of God. Joy is holy fulfillment, and God wants to give all of us a reason to rejoice today, in the middle, and at the end.